0: that you have not just left us a book of instructions on how to be saved, but, Lord, that you are the God who saves and redeems in history, and you create news, you create good news, Lord, and we are grateful that the gospel of our salvation is not a philosophy, but it is news of an event that has happened, and we are grateful that it is the kind of faith the kind of good news that is best heard by being announced and heralded. And so, Lord, as we turn to the portion of our service where it is to be preached, proclaimed, heralded, and announced, Lord, I pray that we would receive it the way that people being redeemed by the events which our Redeemer has done that we would receive them in that way. And I pray that you would give us that gift in the name of Christ. Amen. You can be seated. All right. So, Ruth and Naomi are now back in the promised land, seeking shelter under the shadow of the wings of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who made the heavens and the earth. Ruth is now actually taking advantage of the regulations that the Lord took Uh, Put in place over his people to care for the poor. She was gleaning in the fields. In in fact, we know that she's gleaning in the fields of Boaz. You will remember that the landowners were not permitted to harvest all the way to the edges of their properties, but were to leave that to the poor who were willing to work and to harvest it for themselves. They were also not permitted to go over a field twice or to pick up what was missed. Ruth was working diligently and she was working hard to harvest food for her and for her mother-in-law, Naomi. You also remember that Ruth was getting much more than that. She was doing much better than she would have expected, than she should have expected. And this is because she had caught the eye of Boaz, who instructed his workers... To do what most bosses would never tell their workers to do. He tells his workers to do a bad job around her. To intentionally drop grain. To intentionally miss things. To allow her to gather it from those places. Ruth and Naomi were no longer in need. And they were provided abundantly by Boaz's kindness and affection. They had all that they needed and they had much more than what they needed. However, this abundance and this provision and rest from worrying about their next meal, however wonderful that this rest from worrying was, was only temporary. What happens when Ruth becomes too old to labor the way that she was? What happens when another woman catches the eye of Boaz and he marries that woman? And then it would be weird for him to show that kind of attention to Ruth. Even more important than those things was the matter of a permanent place in the promised land, the land of rest. Would death end their claim on God's good promises? Would death blot out their name in the land of God's presence? Could any rest truly be considered rest if it cannot last and which death would rob us of? So there is a lack of permanence in all the good earthly rests and delight which the Lord provides for people. There's a lack of permanence in those things for those who know him and also for those who don't. This is why people hoard money so that they can protect themselves from loss, that they have enough so that if they do lose some, then they can afford to lose that. So for instance, you actually might enjoy the benefits of beauty like me. But those, beauty, those, la- those uh, benefits of beauty won't last. Plastic surgeons cannot actually delay that. You might enjoy the benefits, the security, or the rest of being strong, athletic, and fit, but that will not last. One day you will be very weak, and your strength will not be able to provide rest for you. You might enjoy the benefits of being smart and having a quick and sharp mind. That provides a measure of security and joy and you could say rest from worry to you. But that won't last either. If the Lord gives you enough years, your mind will one day decline. And so we rejoice when our children accomplish a new learning. When babies learn to walk. When babies learn to talk. When babies learn their name. When children graduate from school or when they finish a school year successfully. But then we grieve when we see our grandparents or parents or husbands or wives begin to slip into dementia and forget who we are. So rest and security are not truly rest unless they are permanent. Naomi and Ruth enjoyed a measure of rest because the Lord had visited his people to bring them grain and then he had brought Naomi back to her people, and that he had brought Ruth, Ruth into God's covenant people because the Lord had stirred the heart of Boaz to take notice of them and to show kindness of them. But this rest was not lasting enough to put their hearts at rest. So at the end of the harvest, when there was no more to glean, when Ruth would have stored up enough grain for a few years because of the kindness of Boaz, Naomi turns her attention to a more lasting, a more secure rest for her daughter-in-law. And also for the sake of her dead husband, for the sake of the family name, which would be erased from the land of promise if there was no children to outlast their deaths. And I want you to turn with me. We're going to read the, uh, from Ruth chapter 3, 1 to 9, and we're going to see this. Ruth chapter 3, 1 to 9. We're reading the whole chapter today, but right now just the first nine verses. Ruth chapter 3, One to nine. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, "My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young woman you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies." Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and laid down. And at midnight, the man was startled and turned over. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. It takes us to our first point, and that is seeking favor of the redeemer God provides. Seeking the favor of the redeemer God provides. I wonder if you noticed, as we read that portion, if you did actually notice that Naomi was looking to seek rest for Ruth. Did you also notice, and and you'd need to put this into the context of the previous chapters, I wonder if you noticed that the rest that they were seeking was from a redeemer which God provided? Naomi's words in verse 2 are an indicator that this is true. She reminds Ruth that Boaz is not just a kind and available man, but he is our relative. And we know from the previous chapter that this means he qualifies as a redeemer she was seeking the rest of redemption that was provided by the Lord to families in Israel. The kinsman redeemer. The role of a man in a family who had the ability and responsibility to restore what a family had lost. Remember, when God created Israel and then the families within Israel, he created them in such a way that if they lost what he had given them, their inheritance, then there could be a man who could restore that and who no one could stop him from restoring it. If they lost their land and somebody else bought it, and this kinsman redeemer wanted to buy it back for them, the person who owned the land could not say no. He had the ability and the authority and the responsibility to restore what a family had lost of what the Lord had given them as an inheritance. So Boaz was certainly qualified to be this redeemer. He checked the boxes. He was a close relative, and he was officially one of their redeemers. And we saw that in chapter 2, verse 20. Remember when Naomi exclaimed, this man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Boaz also, in order to truly redeem them, he also had to have what they didn't have. He couldn't redeem them from poverty or from debt if he too was in debt or poor or landless, but he did have what they lacked. He was a man of means. We learn that in chapter 2, verse 1. And he had shown kindness to them. And it would have certainly cost him to do that. Uh, The more that Ruth gathered and stored up, the more that Boaz's men intentionally dropped for Ruth, the less that Boaz stored up. And apparently he he could handle that. So Boaz is checking off all of these boxes in Naomi's eyes. After each test, Boaz still qualifies. But there is another test yet. We know that Ruth caught his eye, and for godly reasons, not for immature reasons, We know that Ruth caught his eye enough for him to show kindness, at least temporarily. But their hope was that Ruth would find favor in Boaz's eyes in a permanent, covenantal way. Because then they could truly rest. Did you notice how Naomi is trying to set up the perfect situation where Boaz will most likely be in a good mood, in a good countenance? That he would respond favorably to the request. Make sure he has eaten. Make sure he's not hungry. Because that sometimes affects somebody's mood. Make sure he has had some good wine. Make sure he has rested. We need this guy to be in a good mood. We need to catch him when he is smiling. We need his face to shine upon you. He needs to see you when his eyes are glad and happy. Then... Then you shall approach him and ask him to redeem you. Then you should ask him to spread his wings over you. We need him to be glad and merry first. Now, remember this book has a number of wonderful purposes. And also that it was, wasn't only written by God as a book... But the events within it were also authored by God who controls and authors all history. So one purpose, as we know, is to bring to Israel the king that they needed to bring them more rest. That king will be David, and not to spoil the end of the story, but we'll hear more about David at the end of the book. So this is part of the purpose of the book. God is going to provide for them a king through which he will give them rest. Another purpose of this book is to show Israel what a kinsman redeemer is supposed to look like. Remember we have this collection of laws in the Old Testament in the first 5 books of of the Bible in the Pentateuch we have this collection of laws that describe it's kind of a collection of different things that can be summarized by the uh, the uh, role of a kinsman redeemer. And so this this book part of its purpose is to show what does a kinsman redeemer actually look like? What would it look like in practice? What it looked like to be the ideal and godly kinsman redeemer, which God provides for his covenant people. Israel had seen the Lord God as their redeemer. It was right at the top of the praises that they regularly offered to him. We sing, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Israel knew God as their redeemer. That's what they said. You are our redeemer. He redeemed them, as, uh, he'd redeemed them from slavery in Egypt which was not their fault, yet they were unable to redeem themselves. They were helpless, and the Lord did it for them. He redeemed them. He also redeemed them from oppression from their enemies, which often was their fault. We saw this in the book of Judges. How often did God send enemies to destroy them, to punish them because of sins they had committed, and yet he still redeemed them there. He was their redeemer. But God wasn't their kinsman redeemer. Oh, but he would be one day his love, his eternal and covenant love would move him to enact a plan which he committed to before the world was ever even created. One day their redeemer, the Lord, Yahweh, the God of Israel would take on human flesh, would take on human nature and their redeemer would become their kinsman, redeemer. To on their behalf, live according to the law of God and credit his obedience to their account. What he did counted for them. His obedience counted for them. He would also take his people's debt, their sin and guilt, and even the wrath and damnation from God, which we've earned by our sin. And he would bear it to dark Calvary on the cross. The Lord, the God of Israel, their redeemer would become their kinsman redeemer to not only redeem them from suffering, but to suffer with them and then also suffer instead of them. But that is not yet known to Israel. But they did see the Lord as their Redeemer and they also knew that their hope was to find favor with the Lord, their Redeemer. This, This idea that they needed to find favor with their Redeemer. This was their hope, that he would look on them with favor. Now, we read this often in, in our church, but this blessing that the Lord commands his leaders to give to his people from Numbers 6 has this beautiful and poetic, gorgeous language which is in this blessing. You remember, he, the, the blessing in number 6 is that God would cause his face to shine upon them, that he would lift up his countenance upon them and then therefore give them peace. That he would be glad when his face looked at them. That's the sense that Naomi's looking for, for Ruth. Let's find him in a good mood when he's glad, when he's likely to show favor. Get cleaned up, wash the dirt off your face, put on perfume. We need this guy to be happy. He qualifies as a redeemer, but will he be delighted to redeem Ruth permanently? That's what the expression spread out your wings, spread your wings over me, means. It's an ancient custom. And to spread your cloak over a woman is to indicate you are willing to marry her. So it's no accident that the same language is used of the Lord in his relationship with Israel. In Ezekiel 16 verse 8, the Lord speaks of how helpless and guilty Israel was when he made a covenant with her. And this is the language he uses. I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. The Lord didn't just take care of his people occasionally. He made a covenant with her. And marriage was created by God to bear witness to, to be a permanent monument, a living parable of his covenant love toward his people. Boaz had rejoiced earlier in chapter 2 verse 12 that Ruth had sought shelter under the wings of the Lord. Remember that? She had become one of the Lord's covenant people and Boaz says, you have sought shelter under the wings of the Lord. Now Ruth is asking Boaz not only to show kindness to her, not only to provide for her needs as he had done already, but to join in the covenant of marriage with her. To join lives with her. To be hers and she be his permanently. But he'd have to be willing. Not just qualified. But he'd have to be qualified and able but also willing. Now would his face shine upon her as the Lord shone on Israel? Let's continue reading in in Ruth chapter 3 beginning at verse 10. We'll read to 14. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And that brings us to our second point. The the Redeemer... Delights to redeem. Remember, we're looking at Israel's being taught what does a what is the ideal kinsman redeemer? What does it look like to be the kinsman redeemer after God's heart? What actually fulfills the purpose for which this, these laws were commanded? And that Israel was learning that the redeemer not only qualifies and is also able to, but that he delights to redeem. So I wonder if you could see the answer to that question. Did Boaz's face shine at the thought of Ruth and redeeming her? Was it a light and a happiness and a gladness for him to redeem Ruth? Now, if Naomi was a fly on the wall for this moment, if her mother-in-law was a fly on the wall and she could see Boaz's reaction, she would be doing some silent fist pumps and a happy dance. There's no doubt about it. He loves her. He's not only able to redeem her and her whole family, but it is his delight to do so. You can see this in his response. It's incredible that Boaz actually sees it as a kindness shown to him that Ruth would seek him as her redeemer. Ruth was no longer a stranger in Bethlehem, and she was no longer impoverished because of Boaz's generosity. She now had the ability to seek other husbands, an ability which was provided for her, ironically, by Boaz's kindness and goodness. But she didn't seek men with whom she could settle down and have a family, essentially taking care of her loneliness and very practically the built-in pension of having children and grandchildren. If she would have done this, Naomi and Elimelech's family name would be erased from the land of promise, the land of rest, Their names and inheritance would have ended by death. Ruth chooses the lasting rest rather than simply marriage. Ruth seeks kinsman redemption. This is delightful to Boaz. He sees it as a choice worthy of celebrating. He sees it as a beautiful choice. She could not have, see, she could have used Boaz's kindness to seek the arms of another man, but she didn't. She could have used Boaz's kindness to seek a marriage which would not have brought family redemption, but she didn't. And so Boaz is pleased to redeem Ruth, to be her redeemer and also her family's redeemer. It was a pleasure to him. It was a happiness, a joyful thought. And we get the impression that his desire preceded Ruth's request. See, Naomi and Ruth wanted the right thing. They wanted the countenance and delight of Boaz, didn't they? They wanted him to be in a place where the thought of redemption would be met with a smile, with gladness, so they went after it. But none of what they did in their little scheme contributed to his pleasure at being their redeemer. Notice, Boaz doesn't say, Well, your perfume smells really good, so yes, I'll do it. He also doesn't say, Now that you've washed your face, let's go for it. He doesn't say that. Boaz's desire, it seems to precede Ruth's request and all of Naomi's fun little plan. His delight in being Ruth's redeemer had nothing to do with wine or food or harvest or sleep or perfume. It came before that. Boaz is willing to redeem But there is a little wrinkle in the plan, isn't there? There's another man qualified as redeemer, and legally, he needs to be given the option first. Remember, this is more than just marrying Ruth. She could have married another man. We we just saw this in Boaz's praise for her. But in order to restore the family's name and inheritance in the promised land, that kind of marriage, that kind of arrangement, it needed to be presented to the other man first. Remember that office of the kinsman or redeemer. If he wanted to purchase land on behalf of the family to restore it, nobody could say no to him. This was the benefit of this office of kinsman redeemer. No one can say no if a man wants to restore his family. But Boaz doesn't want to leave the impression that he is indifferent to the idea. There's no whatevs in Boaz's response. It's not, well, I mean, I would totally be okay with it, but if not, no big deal. There's none of that. Boaz exposes his heart for Ruth, and he seals it with an oath. He swears that if Ruth is without a redeemer, he would certainly, as the Lord lives, redeem her. Before that moment, Ruth was merely hoping that Boaz would delight to redeem her. Now she could count on it. She could hold him to it. Boaz would be breaking the third commandment if he now did not redeem her. He would be taking the Lord's name in vain if he didn't redeem her because he attached an oath to it. So she went from hoping he would perhaps be willing and not demanding it it would be a gift of grace depending on his favor and delight and mood apparently. And, and now it's something that she could now expect. She could actually insist that he does it. It would be sinning if he didn't redeem her now. This is the ideal kinsman redeemer, remember. This is what the whole office of Kinsman Redeemer was created in Israel by the Lord to accomplish. This is like when a town first gets its fire department and they invest in this and they have fundraising drives and they have these, these, these great pledges and all these things and they finally get the fire, de- fire department together and they get this beautiful new red fire engine and they've got people to, to, to volunteer. They get all this equipment. It's a big investment. And then there is a massive fire in town. And because they have that fire department, it's taken care of quickly, lives are saved, and everything goes well. And then the people stand back and say, This is why we have a fire department. And so the people of Israel can look at the book of Ruth and say, This is why. God made kinsmen redeemers. Why he shaped our families in such a way that if someone from Israel lost the inheritance that the Lord had given them, there would be somebody, not just able, but who would delight to redeem them. But of course, this also tells us about our kinsman redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ who redeems what we lost because of our sin, we had innocence as the race of Adam, and we lost it together with him. We had eternal life, fellowship with God, peace, rest, life in a world without sin or stain of sin, and we sold it for nothing. We traded it for slavery to sin and death, labeling it nicely as independence from God and yet god provided us a redeemer qualified to redeem us perfect lacking nothing sinless and he became man to be fully qualified as our kinsman redeemer god owed us no redeemer it was only if god in his good pleasure delighted to redeem us no man or woman owed us is, sorry no man or woman is owed redemption you're not owed redemption and I don't mean that God owes you because you paid him for it. What I mean by owed is he's not responsible to redeem you. you can't mor- he's not morally obligated to redeem you. It would be fine and it would show nothing bad about his character if he left all of Adam's race to die in their sins. He didn't owe it to us, it's completely up to his good pleasure the countenance of his face, up to his free will, a free choice which depended on his delight and pleasure. And yet it did please God to redeem a people set apart for himself. His face did shine upon a covenant people. It pleased the Lord to send his son. He set his affections on a people which he planned to pull out of the human race and form into a people, a family, an assembly, a church, and to be their redeemer. In Christ, our kinsman redeemer, God doesn't just agree to save you. He delights to save the church. He's not forced to do it. In John chapter 10, Jesus is very clear. No one takes his life from him. He lays it down of his own accord. He's not guilted into it. He truly didn't need to. No one could demand it of him, but he loves to. It is a joy to him. The book of Hebrews tells us that it was for the joy set before Christ that he endured the cross, despising the shame. John 3 tells us that God loved the world, so he sent his son. Not that he was obligated to send the son. John 3 doesn't say, For God knew that it would be the only right thing to do, so he sent his son. It was motivated by his good pleasure, his delight, his plan. This redemption was something which God planned and which also met with his face shining upon the people of that redemption. It's not merely something that we have to catch God in a good mood. Which might change if he hasn't enough food or wine or rest, or if we're not wearing perfume or washed. Brothers and sisters, the beautiful thing about this is God has no needs. We maybe get grumpy when we're hungry. God doesn't get hungry. We maybe get grumpy when we're tired. He doesn't get tired. He doesn't need feast or wine to gladden his heart. He doesn't get grumpy. So if you do receive favor from him, you cannot point to anything you've done or given to him because he has no needs. But simply fall on your knees and rejoice at the sheer gift of undeserved grace. And just like Boaz's redemption of Ruth is sealed with an oath, so is the Lord Jesus Christ's redemption of the church. It is sealed with an oath. I want you also to know us that Boaz, Boaz guarded Ruth's reputation and his own. Do not let it be known that she was here. It's not clear who he said it to, but because there is no recipient noted, it seemed to be uttered as a prayer. Boaz hates the thought of being known for conquering a woman, for having a woman, but not being in a covenant with her him that is a disgusting thing that is not something he would want to be known for he doesn't want anybody to even even be a thought in anybody's mind that he would do something like that many men today love the glory that comes from having a woman or or having many women as if they were trophies to be proud of and boaz considers that a shame and not glory i want you to know what that tells us about the lord He despises the glory that he could have by having a church which which he enjoys fellowship with and praise and love from without putting her in a covenant first. Sexual sin blasphemes God because it says that it is glorious. It is a glorious thing to enjoy the benefits of a covenant without the cost of a covenant, without the oath of a covenant. So young men, take note of this. It is a shameful thing to think of women that way. It's a shame that the Lord Jesus pays for and covers with his blood and he redeems you from that. But it is a shame that required his blood. Young women, take note of this. It is no honor to be seen and desired by a man in this way who's not willing to take to put to make a permanent covenant of marriage with you. It's not an honor, it's an insult. And our society is shaping as if it is a compliment to you. It is an insult. It's not glorious. It speaks a different word to you than the Lord speaks to the church in the gospel. He says to the church in the gospel, I will treat you only as my bride and enjoy the benefits of that when I have sealed that with an oath. How holy is the Lord. How secure is is the steadfast love of our kinsman redeemer. So we have gone from having no claim of redemption to now being able to count on it as the church. Because the Lord Jesus Christ has sworn to the Father that he would redeem the church. All whom the Father elected and gave to him before the world began, and who would be united to him by faith in the gospel of his son. The Lord Jesus has sworn an oath to his father that he would redeem his people. And it is a delight to redeem them, though he would suffer much to do it. So we've gone from having no claim of redemption to now being able to count on it because the Lord Jesus Christ has sworn to the father that he would redeem the church. All whom the Father elected and gave to him before the world began, he sworn that oath to his Father that he would redeem them. And it's also his delight to redeem them. He would suffer much to do this. And I would remind you that in the moment when the Lord Jesus Christ was about to redeem the church, when he was about to pay for her with his blood, when he was about to pay that cost of of our redemption, I will remind you that he was very tired and he was very hungry and he had no wine. It was still a delight for him to endure the cross and to redeem the church. He also sent his spirit to the church as a pledge as a seal of that oath. It's a token of his oath, a promise. We can point to the Holy Spirit and say, look, you gave us your pledge, you gave us your seal, so that he would actually now be blaspheming both the Father and the Spirit to not finish the redemption of the church, to not bring her home to dwell with him in joy and love and delight for all eternity. The Spirit was sent as a pledge, as a down payment, as an earnest, you might say, So if you are going to give a portion of the purchase price to the owners of a home that you wish to buy, what happens if you do not make the full payment of that home? If you renege on that deal, what happens to that down payment, that deposit that you put down on that house? What happens to that? You forfeit it. It's gone. And so imagine the Lord Jesus Christ treating the Holy Spirit that way. It would be blasphemy for the, for the Lord Jesus Christ to not redeem the church. He would be blasphemy against the Father and also against the Spirit. Boaz might have broken his oath to redeem Ruth as his affections for her, maybe his smile for her waned if the perfume faded, if she got dirt on her face again. He could have broken that oath To love and redeem her, he could have. But it would have been a gross sin and it would have made him worthy of execution because he took the Lord's name in vain. Israel was instructed to kill such a man. It was possible for Boaz to break his oath, but it is impossible for God to lie. There are not many things that the Lord can't do. But it is impossible for him to lie. He cannot take his own name in vain. He cannot break an oath. His affection and redemption for those who are in Christ is sealed with an oath and paid for with his blood. So church, he loves you. He has sweet affection for you. And he will not stop loving you. He cannot stop loving you. He does not want to stop loving you. It is not possible for him to want to stop loving you because it would be for him to want sin and the Lord Jesus never would want to sin. So how secure is our redemption? How steadfast is his love toward you? Let that crash over you like a wave. You are his beloved and you will forever be. Treasure it. Delight in it. If you've repented of your sin and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as your only redeemer, your only kinsman redeemer, your only hope, your only plea for forgiveness and love and affection from the Lord God, it would have been sinful for you to suggest that he needed to do it. But it is now sinful to suggest that he won't do it. That brings us to our last point. The Redeemer will not rest until he gives rest to his bride. And now imagine Ruth skipping home to tell Naomi. And imagine being Naomi, hearing this from Ruth's lips. Let's read 14 down to 18. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman, was, the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said... Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. So Boaz loads her up with enough grain to make her embarrassed, and which serves as a pledge of his promised redemption, but it also serves to sustain her while she waits for it to happen. It'll cover the time frame which she is waiting. Now, how long will she have to wait? Naomi knows the answer. She knows the answer. How long, if you had a godly kinsman redeemer, she knows how long you should have to wait for him to redeem you. The man will not rest until he settles the matter. His affection and the shining of his face together with his oath means that he will not delay, he will not rest until he brings her lasting rest. It won't be long. Brothers and sisters, the Lord, our kinsman redeemer, is a greater kinsman redeemer than Boaz. And if Boaz will not delay, if Boaz wouldn't rest until he brings rest to Ruth, then the Lord Jesus Christ will not rest until he's brought his church to eternal rest. He will finish the redemption which he paid for in full on the cross with his life. He will complete the good work which he has begun in you. He will come soon. It seems like he's taking so long. The church groans in waiting for the Lord. How long, O Lord, will you be yes my brother and my sister but you are not his bride you are part of his bride she has not yet been gathered yet he is actively gathering her some of your brothers and sisters have not yet been born some of your brothers and sisters have not yet heard the gospel Some of your brothers and sisters are right now persecuting the church, but they will be one one day redeemed. Some have heard the gospel and have not yet repented and believed in the gospel. He will not return until that happens. He's not waiting for it to happen. He's actively making it happen. How wonderful that he did not come before you were born. And then before you were born again, how wonderful for you. Some of you were saved this year. How precious that is for a church. Though much of me longed for Christ to return last year and to spare us for pandemics and pain and death and my own stupid sin, I rejoice that he didn't come until after you guys were saved. Not one of the elect, the bride-elect of Christ will be missed. To do so would be for Christ to deny the Father and the Spirit. And so he is now at work gathering the bride from all nations, all tribes, all tongues, but he will not delay. He will not postpone the full redemption of his people. He will come for them and he will not delay. He will not rest. He is actively doing it. He will not rest until he brings all the wicked, undeserving, unwashed, unperfumed people to glory. First, working to wash her with his blood. And then collecting her, gathering her, calling her from every tribe and tongue and nation. And his instruction to us is the same as Ruth's from Naomi. Wait, literally... Still yourself. Sit still, she says. Wait. Enjoy the pledge which he has given to you. Enjoy that oath. And he will supply every need that you have to wait for him. And he will come soon. We talk about the, the fact that he's coming soon. It's described as the imminence of his coming it could come at any moment, like a thief in the night. And that imminence of his coming is good news to the redeemed. But friends, it ought to be frightening for those who have thus far refused to repent of their sin and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel. Because your sin is not paid for, and it will receive punishment. And if you want to know what kind of punishment, if you want a glimpse of what that kind of punishment was, You look at the cross because Christ received that for the church on the cross. You are carrying your guilt and God will punish that guilt while you are carrying it. You will be sent to hell to receive the wages of your sin. But for the redeemed, God punished our guilt while Christ was carrying it on the cross. It is foolish to go into judgment while carrying your own sin, especially if God has provided for you a redeemer. So run to Christ, repent and believe for the forgiveness of your sins so you can no longer dread his return and despise that it will be soon, but you can join the bride of Christ and long for it. What a joy to know for certain that the Lord Jesus Christ, the judge of men, will certainly come for you and that his face shines upon you, not just agreeing to redeem you, but delighting in your redemption. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. And may we be found waiting for you when you return. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we rejoice at our redemption and we we rejoice that by your good pleasure through the unsearchable counsel of your will you have seen fit to give us your favor and to provide for us a redeemer that you've set your affections on us and Lord, that you have sealed those with an oath. Help us as we wait. It is hard. Help us to long for your coming and sustain us while we do. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.